Hi, my name is Diewald Kirsten and I'm a photographer based in South Africa. I've always had a huge passion to connect with people from all walks of life. And the national lockdown has forced me to do that. I've had to come up with new and interesting ways of connecting with friends and connections and people that I've always wanted to connect to. Hence, this podcast. I'm doing daily live shows on my Facebook page where I talk to new and interesting people. And these I will be converting to podcasts that you can listen to on your own time. So please stick around and uh, love to hear your feedback. Good afternoon. Welcome back. Let me rather say I'm back today. And um, yeah, I took a little bit of a breather yesterday. I had to get some stuff out of the way and I didn't have anybody that was scheduled. Um, So yeah, I... Played around in the studio yesterday with one or two things, which I'll post on my Facebook in a little bit. Um, or or when, this, uh, when this chat is done. Today I'm speaking to a commercial photographer from Cape Town, a guy by the name of Warren Baines. And uh, I, I, have, I haven't met Warren yet, but I know Warren through a very good friend of mine, Dan Edwards, who's been on before in the BTS South Africa chat. And um, Warren is a commercial photographer based in Cape Town, and he has shot some awesome campaigns. His agency represented, so I, I'm going to ask him some questions about that. And then also he's done some very interesting personal projects that um, I think we can we can chat on. There's some really cool stuff in there, and stuff that's some that's quite inspirational for people that are stuck at home now. So. Have a listen and start planning these things for when we get out. So, yeah. Hello. Ah, there we go. Yes. How's it? Sorted. Good, good. How's it going? All right, and you, man? All good. Thanks for, um, yeah, thanks for the invite to come on the show. Yeah, and it was a, it was a short notice one, but here we are. It's all right. I haven't got much to do nowadays, so, <laughs> you know. It's nice way to fill up the afternoon. Yeah, most people don't have much to do in any way, so yeah. Hopefully they listen yeah. hopefully they listen to the nonsense we're gonna talk now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hopefully dispel some sort of useful information. Yeah, no no, I think uh, there's a lot. Um and there's there's quite a bit of stuff that uh, old daddy boy has mentioned to me that I wanna chat to you about and then also some of the other things that uh, you might have going on. Okay. Yeah, so I think uh, let's let's start off. Uh, you are agency represented. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I currently am with Bird on a Wire. Okay. Creative manager. Yeah. So I, I I think let's let's chat about that process because I know to get in with an agency is the, the chance of finding hens teeth is much bigger these days because everybody's knocking down the doors of of the big agencies for work. Um, so I think let's let's chat about that if you're keen if you're keen to do that. Okay, absolutely. Uh, I guess it all started. Um, I, I started in the stills as a as a uh, production assistant in the stills sort of commercial stills industry, uh, freelancing for production companies. So I actually stepped in at the let's say the entry level of of commercial photo shoots about six years ago, and uh, that exposed me to a lot of international photographers. I've never assisted 
any photographers in South Africa. I've never spent time sort of any in any studios. My, my experience was very hands-on as far as like literally hands-on as a, as a production assistant for my first first year. And then uh, my sec- from the second year, I started PMing and I, I did that for, for a good like four or six seasons. But what it did is it gave me an opportunity to look at a lot of international photographers, mostly uh, British, but, you know, a few, few uh, American and European. And it sort of gave me a taste of what the commercial world is like over there, sort of how, how um, people are shooting here, styles that I liked, um, ways of working that resonated with me. And the whole time I, I was taking winters off and I was going to travel. So in about, 2000, uh, it was about 2013, I started doing these long, long trips overseas and I would just, I would just shoot. What I guess I would categorize as street photography, mm. but you know I was just out every day photographing in the streets, and that that sort of happened for a couple of winters, and I, I worked through the seasons, and then I in between that I'd done little bits and pieces with companies. So if I knew someone with a a brand like a bikini brand or a beachwear brand, like I'd do I'd do shots for them, and slowly I built up this this body of, of images and I ended up putting that together on a website, um, sort of writing a sales pitch and then I hit up everyone in South Africa. I had every photographic agency that I could think of that I could find online and they all turned me down. Um, and I guess that's, you know, coming from the business background or the entrepreneurial background that I come from, it wasn't unfamiliar to me. The, the process wasn't unfamiliar. The being turned away, I didn't take it personal. I just kind of let that put it out there and then I, I carried on just shooting and Bird and Hawaii actually phoned me up a few months later and they were like, look, we're, we're changing the way that we, we're doing things. Um, you know, we'd be interested in representing you. And that started our relationship. Okay. That's cool. But, um, did you physically go knock on these guys doors? Uh, did you email them? Did you, did you phone them? Because I know that they probably get 10,000 emails a day about potential photographers and videographers asking to be signed. So yeah. what, what, do you, what do you think made you stand out to them? So just a little bit of background. I, up until last year, I was owner of a business that did recycling for events. So we worked on events like the Absa Cape Epic, uh, K-Day, like a few of the big events here in Cape Town. And what that gave me a chance to do is to sharpen my sales skills. Now, I hate cold calling. Mm. I hate, you know, that awkwardness. But it was a skill that you, as an entrepreneur, you have, especially as a start of business, you have to develop. You have to understand that, you know, you might have incredible work, but it isn't about you. You know, there's also there's a, the person that you're trying to sell to that has their own sort of prerogative and their own needs. So you need to understand that you're presenting to them and how you present to them is, you know, straight away that's going to make an impact. Mm. So I developed a short, firstly, I list all the companies that I could find on, in South Africa. It's just internet Google, um, took all the details, website, contact, all that sort of stuff. And then I looked at each agency and I kind of ranked them as my sort of preference, highest preference to the lowest preference, if if that makes sense. So I just looked at the agency. I said, look, I like the sort of photographers that you represent. I like 
you know, you saw your brand. And I, I rated them in that way. And then I started from the bottom so that I could make the mistakes early on with companies that I knew I didn't necessarily want to, you know, they weren't my sort of first choices when it came to representation. And I just worked my way up the list. And it's, it's a very, it's a straightforward process. It's a phone call. It's a, it's a short sales pitch. Um, and then a direct email straight after that. So my process often went phone call, conversation, email address, send, and then follow up 10 days later. And how open are these guys to getting phone uh, cold call phone calls? I think as any business owner or any company, you know, you're always receiving phone calls, but one just has to make sure that they present in, uh, you know, in the correct manner. You don't want to go in there and say, look, I'm incredible. You must do that. You must do that. It is, it's a basic conversation. It's like, Hey, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. You know, if you've got the time, I'd love to send you a link to my, make sure you've got all of those things in line though. Like you can't phone someone and ask them for their email address and then still have to like build your website and get your body of work. You know, it takes a lot of, a lot of hours before you even start those phone calls to make sure you've got a, a presentation that is concise and uh, that can be run through really quickly because, like you say, these agencies might be getting hundreds of calls a week or even emails a week with people trying to pitch their work. And if you've got a complex website that takes a lot, like a lot of clicks to figure out who you are, what you are as a photographer or director, you know, it's, it's not going to be good for an agency. Whereas if you can deliver your message in 60 seconds, you know, I think, Owners of companies and art directors really appreciate that. Yeah, no, that, well, that makes sense because they also they're busy. Well, probably not. Yeah. So, probably not so busy right now because I know the whole, no. the whole industry got tanked yeah at the end of Feb like quick quick. So yeah, it was it was like the the shutters just came down on everyone, you know. Sure. But but. This time is usually, this winter time is usually a time for reconciliation. There's a lot of um, getting all the images from the different campaign shoots from the different photographers. So as an agency, they're collecting campaigns that were photographed during season, compiling that, you know, putting that up on their website, um, connecting with European agencies and European companies again. So work doesn't just stop you know yes. i don't think everyone just like put their macbook they put their computers down and we're like okay cool well now we've got a you know uh, undecidable holiday <laughs> so far as i know everyone's still quite busy with um putting their work together and no one's treating this like the end if yeah. anything i think people are gearing up to to look at new and creative ways of delivering but i think now would be a good chance for people that that deem themselves good enough to get that portfolio ready, to get the website ready, to get all the things done so that they can pitch these guys, well, if, if they've got openings. But like you said, you you threw stone in the pond and, or stone in the bush and see who jumped out at the end. And, and it's worthwhile getting that stuff done now while they're not concentrating on on jobs being done, um, getting everything organized for, for jobs, for upcoming jobs and all that. Absolutely. If there was a time to to be really putting energy into putting a presentation together, to to making sure the website's you know really tight with the best images that you have, 
and, and not not the images that that resonate with you on a personal level. You know, the, the tendency is as photographers is to to look at work from a very subjective point of view and you go, oh well, you know, it took me so much time to get this particular image or it took this amount of money to get this particular image. It really is about objectifying your work and um, and even getting outside opinions. I found that has been very helpful over the years whenever I felt that I sort of come to a new stage in my photo- in my body of work or, or with a body of work or looking to present perhaps to, to new art directors, then, um, then I'll, I'll often seek outside advice, friends that I have in the industry, uh, art directors who opinion, whose opinion I appreciate. I often reach out and, and do like a sort of soft, um, a soft presentation where I can get feedback where people can say, okay, well, you know, perhaps try this or look at that. And, uh, and I take all critique. Um, I don't take it personally. Yeah. Well, you, it, it, but that also depends on where it's coming from. If the critique is coming from the top art director in Cape Town at the moment, then you know, shit, I need to listen to what this dude is saying and, and work on that. But if it's, if it's coming from, from Tani Sunny that's on a Facebook group giving you critique that can't do what you do, then brush it off and carry on and note it and, and rather look for somebody else. Absolutely. I think if, if one was, if someone's going into the professional realm, let's say the commercial realm, or you're going to turn this hobby that you have or this interest that you have into a commercially viable uh, sort of life choice, you need to turn to people, you know, it's okay to, sh- I think it's great to share your work online. It's a great way for, for you to get comfortable with the idea of sharing your work as, as creatives, we do have a tendency to kind of huddle onto work and, and, yeah. Maybe it's too precious or maybe you're too concerned and there's always like that next project before you put something out and, you know, you've just got to take those risks. You've got to get to a point where you're just publishing stuff so that you you get comfortable with that feeling. But if you are moving into the creative, in, into the sort of professional commercial realm, you do want to try and seek opinions from that, that sphere, you know. Mm. It's great to have a bunch of people like your photograph and and uh, throw nice comments, but as much as they're appreciated, I, I often look for the most critical opinions, mm. especially ones who can offer reason behind why they make a choice, mm. you know, because then I, then I have an opportunity to look, and look at it from their point of view and go, okay, well, you know, what you say makes sense. Yeah, that's... that's- I do, I, I've got friends who own a little photography group on Facebook and it's uh, it's predominantly Afrikaans one called the Altmakar Fotografie and it's basically a, a group of people, there's there's a couple of people in there that's, that do shoots for weddings and families and all those kind of things, um, but they've got like a, a bi-weekly theme that they do and then people put pictures up and then they choose the top 10 or 15 and I and they asked me to come in and, and choose the best three from them. And I've had people that I, that, and they post pictures there that's really, really not good. And then I would give an honest opinion about it. It's, I've, I've, I've been around a little bit and I've done quite a few things to be able to, to give that kind of critique. And then they say, but, oh, but you're so rude. And why? Well, I said, I'm not rude. I'm being honest. I'm, it, it's, it's, the, nobody's going to tell you, oh, that's so pretty. 
but you need to fix this because then it's not so pretty yeah. anymore. You need to say it like it is and learn from that. And don't, yes, it's a it's a knock on the chin and it's not nice, but um, it, it's the best way to learn. Yeah. I think that's the difference between someone who's picked it up and perhaps just a, a pastime hobbyist and someone mm-hmm. who, who takes it as, dare I say, an art form or a tool of expression or you know, even a commercial thing, you know, I think if you want to move forward, you've got to look for those, you've got to look for those holes in your, in your ability and, and tighten them up and, and getting opinions from people who are established, who have more experience, you know, it, um, it pays dividends, you know, over, over the long time, if you can take that critique and look at your work and, you know, perhaps you go and try to reshoot a concept, perhaps you, you take the notes and you develop something new. Um, that's all the, that's part of growth. That's how you develop a skill is by finding the weakest points and tightening that up. And it, it, it doesn't come, growth doesn't come from having yes people around you or having yes people to critique your work or look at your work, you know. Mm. Or you must do something completely out of your comfort zone, something that you've never done before. For instance, a guy that's shooting fashion every single day, give him a long lens and say, right, let's go shoot birds or let's go... Um, figure out how to shoot a wine bottle so it looks professional um, mm. those kind of things I think people should step out of their comfort zones more often um, to, to teach themselves new skills as well yeah it's also, it's also nice to have you know not just solely focused on on one particular theme you know I I found my style has changed. I became interested in street photography when I was traveling, but I've always had an interest in the ocean. Uh, as you can know, so that's one of yeah. print from Australia, and it's you know it's that kind of being in the shooting water photography that is is nice and challenging, and it often develops you know new ideas, or I get to experiment. I get to have fun with it, yes. and you know sometimes out of that you. Like you say, when you get out of your comfort zone, perhaps you're going to photograph, for me, a particular wave or a, a particular surfer, there's there's a challenge there. And, you know, it's also fun. So you come out with a, a fresh perspective and you keep it fresh. Hmm. You know, as for someone building their portfolio in the commercial realm, you're always shooting these tests. And uh, I just kind of find I get fatigued. Not fatigued, just creatively I'd started to struggle a bit. Okay. With, with test shoots? What, what, what is yeah. that that you're struggling with? Test shoots. Test shoots, yeah. So, so non-commercial um, photography shoots that, that I produce or I get assistance, uh, I get help to, to produce a shoot that has no commercial value but has all the elements of a commercial value. Okay. Do you get, do you, do you get bored do you, with that or do you like doing that kind of stuff? Sorry, I've... I've you... Yeah, you said that you you get bored with the test shoots. Um, sorry, um, we're talking over each other for one second. No worries. Um, okay, right. So you have put together some big shoots for yourself to build your portfolio. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's fine. And 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 you do that because you know that you need something in your in your portfolio particularly. And that you want to build on and show to your prospecting clients, or, or is it completely something creative that you've got in your in your head? 
Um, test, test shoots are, are there for me to experiment with ideas. So um, to experiment with a particular mood, a particular group of people, a particular product, maybe I'll insert a product in a way that could be used, you know, someone could see that, you know, I understand how to photograph a particular product to make it look good in a certain scenario. But to be honest, most of the art directors who, you know, most of the jobs I get chosen for, my work, my traveling work gets referenced okay. more than anything else. Okay, so so would you would you would you be doing more of that kind of stuff in the, in, in the future to, to to better that, or do you still want to put up more um, test shoots for your portfolio? So last last winter, I spent a lot of time on test shoots. Um, that's actually where I got Dan and Ryan together, and they were doing some behind this, yes. the the scene stuff, um, and that sort of relationship started there, which was really cool. Um, and that, that's what I like about test shoots is I get to build a community so that when commercial, at some point when a commercial client comes through and they say, you know, we need this, that, the other, you know, we've got the capacity, you know, within this community that I work with, we've got the hairstylist, we've got the hair and makeup, uh, the styling, props master, all those sort of things. So it's about building community. It's about testing concepts and about presenting new work um, each season. So that people see that I, you know, art directors and clients overseas can see that I've been busy. However, that I focus solely on sort of test concepts that had no end purpose. You know, they were just for my book, they were for the models book and for the stylist book. This year I'm taking, or this winter I'm taking a bit of a new approach where I'm trying to, where I'm not trying, I'm collaborating with art directors to deliver complete campaigns. But okay. these are for companies or NGOs that, you know, we kind of like what they're doing and we we then go and pitch this idea of, hey, look, we'll do this entire thing for you for, for free. We would we'll like an opportunity to, to pitch and deliver for you. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. That, that, that makes sense. Um, and also the thing with those kind of test shoots is that you can, you can be completely creative as much as you want. You... There's there's no there's no brief hanging on your on your neck saying that you this is what you must shoot with that's what you must shoot um, the model is not allowed to do this or you're not allowed to do that um, it's completely your creativity and I think with like what you're saying what you're going to be doing with the NGOs now as well even though it's a professional team coming in you guys can actually do what you want for them and get the, and get the best stuff. That that is the premise. Um, we're still trying. You know, we obviously want to work within the guidelines of the NGO. Make sure that it fits their brand. Make it make sure that um, it doesn't in any way negatively affect their brand. But we have the pitch that we have put together is very much along the lines of how I photograph. Anyway, we're look, it's it's based on real people. It's based on natural light and just making very classic. Not not classic, but quite strong portraiture, street portraiture, which is which is quite exciting. Yeah, well, those kind of things are always exciting, especially if you're working with with somebody that's not used to being in front of a camera. Mm. Okay, so I find the reactions can be very organic. You know, and the kind of expressions that you get, 
once once you find that little sweet spot is yes. it's, it's very rewarding yes now the, the, the one of the one of the projects I saw on your website and that Dan has also told me about is the is the where you went into the into the prisons to photograph the boxes yes All right so tell me about that because that's I think that's a very intimidating subject because a lot of these guys you're working with are, are gangsters and, and all these so it's an intimidating person you're working with. So how did you how did you approach those guys to, to get them to work with you and, and get the best from them? So so just a heads up, getting into the prison was a it was a twelve month period. It was a twelve month process of I can't, I'm just trying to think how I met, I met someone who knew about the, the prison initiative and they put me in touch with the head of the sports and sports development department. I spoke to him. I went to go to the prison. I saw what the boxes were doing. Um, and that kickstarted the whole process of research and um, putting a proposal together, which then went through the whole process of approval, which was in the end, about a 12 month process, but a project like that takes a lot of trust. And it's, so it took months of sometimes just going to the prison and maybe making one or two photographs, sometimes none, just to be at the training sessions, just to see, just for the guys to, to sort of get comfortable with me, to build some relationships, to understand some stories and to really recognize who in the program the, uh, the the boxing was actually helping? Okay, okay. And and how was that the whole process? Because I think that that must be an eye opening, an eye opening thing to to witness and to and to work with these kind of people that that's like hardcore prisoners. Yeah, it's it's got it's ha it's had such a positive effect on my life in that it put a lot of my own struggles into perspective. And by struggles, I mean, you know, the things that I at some point deemed troublesome, things in my life that were difficult, you know, or I, you know, I would assume are difficult or, or, or troubling. It really took it and put it all into perspective. Um, it changed, you know, the way I, you know, I became healthier, I became more focused. I um, It also gave me a really interesting perspective into South Africa or Cape Town's history and the history of the numbers gang. So when, okay. when I was doing the project, I was reading a lot about a lot of books that have been written on the numbers. And uh, John Steinberg actually has a book called The Numbers that has a very detailed uh, history of where the number gang stems from. So that was really interesting. And, and also look into why gangs actually exist in society. You know, what, what um, purpose do they serve in these communities? And while their, you know, while their activities are illegal and illicit, and you know, people get caught, innocent people get caught in the crossfire, what they do for a lot of young men is offer them a place in community, because a lot of the young men in prison grow up without fathers or grow up with, with abuse of fathers in communities that don't offer a lot of opportunity. And the only sort of positive or the only male role models they have are these gangsters. Okay. 
And is there is there any one of those guys that you really connected with on a on a on a deeper level than just having him as a subject to photograph? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's actually one boxer who's fighting for an SA title. He would have been fighting. He would have fought for an SA title on the 18th of April. His name is Abdulaziz. Okay. And from the moment I, as I was spending more time there, I recognised that he was one of the most motivated youngsters that were in the in the program. You know, constantly driving the team through training sessions, always there on time, and always very motivated. So we, we built up a bit of a relationship and he doesn't fit the typical gangster persona. You know, you expect hard looking faces with tattoos and there's, there's quite a stigma around, you know, gangsters and he's just the polar opposite. He's a really good looking kid, um, really gentle in his demeanor, very, um, just a really nice kid. And we started hanging around a lot. He also grew up in Brooklyn, which at the time I was living in Milton. So we, you know, we were like suburban neighbors. And it was just interesting to me how that short, the five Ks between where he lived and where I lived was so different, was such different worlds. Sure. And, and is he, is he still in prison? Is he, is he, has he gone out? No, he got released a couple of years ago. Um, so there's him, there's Abdul, there's another a gent I met called Linton. I actually spent time working with Linton. He had been released from the from prison and was um, he was trying to find his feet on the outside world. And he was living in Belha at the time. And uh, I spent a bit of time, quite a bit of time with him. I got to photograph him and his his uh, newborn child when his kid was a couple months old. And, uh, and we've kept in touch to this day and his kid's now two or three years old. And a lot of the stories I hear from the offenders is that they come out and they go back into crime. And Linton and Abdul have been the two boxers that have come out that have not gone back into, gone back into to gangsterism or to crime. And those two are, sort of the shining hope of what is possible for any individual. You know, Linton's driving force was that he had this new child and that was the reason he was going to keep straight. Okay. So what are they doing now? What uh, Have they got jobs or? So Linton works for, he refurbishes old shipping containers into usable offices and, oh. and, living spaces. So last time I saw him at the workspace, which was about a year or so ago, he was working on, he was working on um, a small set of containers for New Zealand. And, you know, these are skills that he developed uh, outside of prison, a job that he found by, by himself. And uh, he's traveled with the company through South Africa. Um, he's living like an incredible life. He's married, happy with a kid, and he still he still trains boxing. That's fantastic. It's awesome. It's so awesome to hear that. And, and Abdul, what is he doing? He's a professional boxer. He's a he trains out of Bryce's gym in the southern suburbs, and he's a he's a full time boxer. Okay, and uh, and okay on on that same topic of the personal because this was a personal project for you, am I correct? Yeah. Okay, the yeah. whole thing. So. What was the outcome from, from, from that? So 
Okay, let, let me rephrase a little bit. Why did you? Why did you? Why did you particularly? Okay, you said that you had a connection that gave you the lead on the boxes in the, in the gym. But what? What? What triggered you to say, "All right, this could be an awesome project for myself." I think offering a different perspective on prison was what first resonated with me. You know, okay. going into the space that is so has in the media it's been portrayed as, you know, you've everyone's seen the Ross Kemp documentaries and all the pictures from um, from the prisons in South Africa and the overcrowding, the gangsterism. And this offered a ray of hope, sort of an alternative perspective to what was going on in, in correctional services. Now, I'm not saying that the system's perfect, but it's offering some of these these criminals or or I hate saying criminals, offenders, mm. you know, an alternative. They're, they're, they're getting something that I think has, or they're learning a skill that is really good for personal growth. You know, there's something about boxing. Often great boxers come from troubled backgrounds, and I think mm. it, takes, it takes those troubled backgrounds to really develop heart, to be able to, you know, be knocked around and still want to and carry on fighting. It's that, that fighter spirits that, these sort of troubled kids have. So it, it really fits well in the sort of correctional service space because you have all this male tension in, 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 the, in the cells and in the corridors and, and no outlets. You know, some of these guys are only allowed out a few hours in the day and they choose to spend their time boxing. So it's really an opportunity to, to channel that frustration, to channel the anger and and have a place to, to work out and sort of release all of that testosterone. So they go back and face the time with a bit of a clearer head. Okay. And, and once you've had the project finished, um, I know you did an exhibition and a book on it as well. Um, what if I'll, I'll link, is the book still available? Can people still get the book? The book is available. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I need to relook open how, um, open up how I'd sort of send it out again. It's been a while since I've done that. But, yeah, people are welcome to contact me and I, and I can make a plan to get it out. But yeah. it got to a point where I just had so much work, so much, so many images that I just felt that it needed to be shared. And it was a, it was a story I felt that needed to get out. I didn't get the kind of, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's the type of project that could carry on for years. You know, you yes. can keep exploring different elements, different characters, but it kind of got to a point where I felt, okay, this was, this has reached its pinnacle or this is, this has reached a good spot now. Um, let's try and get it out. And I put it together, uh, a couple of online magazines published it. I think the Sunday, August or the Sunday times had a big spread on it had a two, two or three page spread on it. And then I ended up having an exhibition in Franschhoek and, I had the book published as well. Okay, and and how, how was the what was the, the feedback you got from the from the exhibition um, after you did that? Because I know that's uh, exhibiting your photo is also a very personal thing, but it must also resonate with the people that comes to see it. So how, how was that experience? For you? I I mean I thoroughly enjoyed going through the process of editing images down choosing the final selects, going through the printing process, framing. There's something very gratifying about the whole process. And then, and then seeing it hung up on the wall is something quite special too. Um, 
I'd love to do another show at some point. I just haven't quite found the right subject. But the show and the book were kind of just a way of wrapping it all up. I ended up um, sharing the sharing the profits with any boxes that pieces were sold of. So boxes that were featured in the image, I ended up um, splitting splitting the profits with them because I wasn't there to make money money for it, you know. Okay, that's awesome. And and so the long and story from long and short from that kind of thing is if if somebody's got a personal project that they feel like doing, they should just go and do it because otherwise it's somebody else is just going to start take up your idea and and go do what you go and do. So do your research. Um, you know, make sure the the subject matter is interesting to a lot of people you know i think because because it was prison i think my i think the body of work has a intrinsic element of interest to it because you know it's a it's a hot but it's also a hard sell you know it's a very con there were very confrontational pieces and i think for some south africans that might be hard to some collectors that might be hard to to digest but yeah it's going to take longer than, you know, prepare to put a good few years into the project. Um, be prepared. You're going to come up to come up to challenges always, whether it's, you know, with prison for me, it was getting access to certain places and the, and the different tiers of, of um, administration. But that was part of the, you know, part of the process of, of working in correctional services. You know, there's a lot of red tape and you need to jump to, to, to clear it. But, going to cost more than you expect it's going to take longer than you expect um you know and you might not sell stuff and you've got to when you're starting a new project it's got to be driven by it's got to be self-motivated it can't be financially motivated yeah no with, with anything um with anything personal you can't do it for the money if the, the if there's money in it if the money will come but um you can't you can't attempt something like that and hope that somebody would spend a couple hundred thousand rand on buying your prints afterwards it's not yeah it's not a given and 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 even if you if you do expect that you must make sure that the pic that the pictures you do put out is worth that kind of um money that people would spend on it yeah yeah and printing is a whole new process in itself you know and it's, it's a whole expensive. other art form it's expensive mm. to 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 do pro proper really good Art prints is a very expensive. Yeah, yeah. But as a photographer, there is a feeling of having a yeah. big A0 print on the wall and you can just kind of stand there and, and then having other people look at it and appreciate it. There's, there's something beautiful to that. It's, 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 it's different. The emotion is different looking at a print on a wall and what it is looking on a screen like on a phone or on a laptop or something like that. It's just... You can't explain the, that emotion from that picture versus an online one. Yeah, and, and that's what I found with the book and the, the exhibition is that people in that space, people are forced to stop and pay attention. Mm. So when you're standing underneath the print, you know, you're standing there and being fully present and looking at it, uh, or you're paging through a, a physical book, you know, you're going through the pages and it really demands attention. And I think that's that's where photography is great as it can take them into these little journeys, whether it's on a book or on a wall. Yes. 
So, so coming from that kind of personal project where you are so deeply involved in it with all the emotions and everything, and then going out to go shoot a campaign for a clothing brand, for instance, that you've got absolutely no emotional connection with, apart from a paycheck at the end of the month, um, how does how, how do you feel about those kind of things? Obviously, you do it because you love you love the art of photography, um, and also being paid for it. But yeah, I think a, a lot of people. If, if I could only shoot for myself then I would shoot landscapes and be out in the felt the whole day, but that won't pay the bills. Mm. So. And that, I think that's something you've got to accept from early on. You know, you've got to make that decision to say, okay, you know, some jobs pay the bills, some jobs pay the bills and are super fun, yes. and then some, jo- some things you do are for, for yourself. And if you can clearly differentiate between those elements of your, your own work, um, I don't think there's a need to get caught up. You know, I did a campaign for a, um, for a, a he- healing care, um, like a gel, a, okay. a wound care. And, uh, you know, I was getting paid to hang off the side of a cliff and photograph a mountain climber. And it's, you know, it was like, it was everything I love about photography. It was being outside. It was, you know, collaborating with people, real people who had have the capacity to climb these these sheer walls, you know, and I was making photographs and I was collaborating with an awesome creative team who were also having a good, like a real good time. And that side of the commercial photography, although perhaps, you know, I don't have necessarily an intense connection with the, with the image in that yeah. it's not let's say a story, not part of a story, it still is the, the process of making the photograph and the, the people relationships you have doing it are, are what I enjoy. Yeah. And, and, and a, a, a job that's fun is always fun. Is you can't take that away from it. Even, even weddings, mm. um, they're few and far between, but you get those ones where you want to pack away your camera gear at 10 o'clock in the evening and join the party. Because it's it's just so such an awesome vibe, and and you get that with all sorts. Of, I, I do a lot of work in the agricultural sector, and it's hardly there's few times that I've walked away from working on a farmer's like if it's fruit farmers especially in in, in harvest season. There's hardly ever you will walk away from there going home without the box of grapes or apples or whatever they're busy with. They just want and. Those are minor things, not why I do the job, but you will always get something back from them just for for being there. Mm. And that that is part of what I love about photography is, you know, as as a person with social interests, I you know, I like working with people. It's it's fun collaborating and especially when you get that rapport going, you know, it does feel a lot more than just a a job because, you know, you might make a connection or walk away with some grapes or just everyone's contribution helps and makes this, this incredible, this photograph that, you know, everyone's stoked on. And, um, okay. On, on another topic, what, what uh, camera gear do you shoot with? So I'm not a very techie type of photographer. Like, you know, I, I understand how to operate a camera, but I don't know specs and all that sort of stuff. But at the moment I shoot on 
a Canon 5D Mark IV. Um, my backup camera is a 5D Mark III, which I'll sh- which I'll shoot more like the sort of water photography stuff or action stuff. Yeah. And then I've got a range of prime lenses and a couple of zoom lenses. Okay, so you so you're a Canon shooter, um, invested in Canon. Yeah. Would, would yeah, you, I. Hmm? Would you move, would you move brand by any chance, or look at something else, or are you still happy with what Canon is giving you? I I bought a Fuji, uh, one of the XT, I think the XT one for the prison pro- when I was working in correctional services because I found it's sort of because it was so small, it was a little bit more discreet and I enjoyed that about the Fuji, but I wasn't hundred percent sold on it. I'm, I like putting like an extra battery pack on the bottom of my camera so that it looks and feels bulkier. It feels like I'm working with a tank. Yes. Um, I just, just, that's my comfort. You know, even lugging those things around, I walk around with a shoulder strap all day and the camera's in there and I'm just comfortable with that. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. And and um, I see a lot of the stuff you shoot on your on your site. There's a lot of natural light things. You don't shoot with a lot of studio lights on your shoots. No, most of my ninety nine point nine of my percent of my things. I mean, commercially, I'll use a, a bounce, a scrim, um, as a bit of fill to scrim things off. Uh, but yeah, most of my stuff's all natural, naturally lit. Yeah, that's it. it. It just goes to show that it's not all about, yes, light in particular is very important and how you use it, but you don't have to have 200,000 rands worth of brown color lighting for to be a commercial photographer or shoot, no, shoot the kind of stuff you have. Yeah, I mean, there's different, there's different types of commercial photographers. You know, there are high-end fashion studio photographers, there are product, there's, and all of those things, all of those photographic styles require different elements. Mine, I'm heavily focused on location and emotion and action. I love when things are happening. I love when, you know, whether it's the, the campaign I was talking about, whether it was someone climbing a wall or someone skateboarding or someone riding a mountain bike, you know, you don't really have the space to set up these big lighting systems. It's very much off the go. Yeah, that's awesome. I also like shooting with natural light. I can work with off-camera flash if I want, but it's it's few and far between. It's um, because it, it's, it's and I, I shoot run and gun. It's 99% of the times I'm by myself. So to have a light stand and a reflector and all these kind of things to work around with, it's it's just very cumbersome for me. So I, I go in, I get the shots that I need or I feel is good enough, and then I carry on. I don't like to lug around all mm. these things. It just makes it easier for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think last winter, I did studio, one studio test, and then... I experimented on a couple of shoots with off-camera off flash. Um, there's a series actually that was photographed at some salt pans on the on the west coast, and we set up these. We set up a, a flash setup, single single light flash setup, and uh, just didn't end up using it. The location was just so prime with these sort of massive white sand mountains that the natural bounce was just incredible. Yes. Yes, 
And that's and what, and that's I just ended up, you know, I tried a bit of light here and there, but it's understanding light as a process. And I think if you if you've got a really good location and you're good at shooting a particular way, you know, stick with that and then maybe experiment with lights at home or something that's where you've got time to, to play around. Yeah. And also I think most of it, most photographers, photographers forget about the, the, the natural bounce that's happening around you or the natural lighting that you can use mm. to advantage. Like where, where I'm sitting at the moment, I've got, um, I've got a window in front of me. So that's why I've got even lighting over me. I'm not sitting in my office. My office is, my walls are painted black. It's just not going to work. Um, but then simple things, like if you're shooting outside and there's a white house, with, it doesn't even have to be completely white. It can just be a very light color. It will create a very lovely bounce coming off it with the, with the light. So simple things like that that, that, you, that you pick up when, with uh, experience. And cities are great for that where as the sun comes through its morning or afternoon arc, it starts sending light back into the shadows. Yes. So you can actually play with the light spots like that, which is, which is fun. Um, it's also sometimes it's also about what you take the light you take away, not necessarily the light that you add. So, uh, in my, in my, if I'm shooting, I'll often have a, a black cloth that, that we can hang up and just, rather take some light away if you want to create a more dramatic shadow. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and also what's nice about the, these kind of shoots that you do is you particularly normally after one image or maybe three or four, that's going to be the final campaign. It's not You don't have to deliver a series of 500 images for like a wedding or family shoot or anything like that. You need one. So you can, you can play around with different setups to get everything perfect for that one particular shot. It is. There is some pre-production that goes into preparing for a shoot like that, and it, it often comes with understanding what the client and the art director mm -hmm. wants. So, if they're, you know, really set on on a very naturally lit scene, you know, you're not going to arrive with this huge lighting setup and try yeah. and you know impose your your wishes on it or use it as an ex a, a chance to experiment. You know, that's why I think tests are important because you get to put yourself in those situations and test it out before you walk onto set. So when you walk onto set, you have a very clear idea of what's going on. Yes. And you're not, you know, wasting anyone's time. Or what your limitations are, so, or, or what the conditions will be able to give you. Yeah. Because, yeah, absolutely. Because if, if an international shoot is scheduled for the, for the 5th of May and, and it's pissing down with rain, and that's the only day that you can shoot, you need to make another plan to make it look like it's... So then you, your, your experience with lighting can come in again. If, mm. So, yeah, but that's, uh, that's, all, that's all experience that teaches us that. So um, Yeah, I was, I was shooting on the back of a TV commercial, I think in October or November last year, and just they had a pool scene where, you know, they obviously wanted it to look like this beautiful, warm European summer, and it just rained like torrential. So, you know, everything, all the lights had to get covered up. They were setting up lights for a TV commercial and then they cover it all up. And in the meantime, um, you know, you're trying to get your stills as well. And it, yeah. it made it very challenging. And shooting on the back of a TV commercial can be very challenging. And that's, that's the way things are going now. You know, budgets are up until 
you know, lockdown or all of this happened, budgets were getting tighter. So people are condensing shoots and putting TV commercial with still campaigns. Yes. So um, you're finding these hybrid shoots where the relationship between the photographer and the director and the, the TV commercial team, you know, has to be really good. And there needs to be a mutual understanding. And more and more so, I'm finding that it is becoming easier for photographers to work on TV commercial sets because everyone's starting to understand, okay, well, you know, this is the way it is It is going to happen from now yes. on. So we might as well be nice to this team. Exactly. And and the good thing about that, about that is if the lighting looks good on video, it's probably going to look good on photos as well. So... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so the lighting is normally pretty much good to go for for us as still shooters. Mm. Yeah, you you won't have a lot of time on a TV commercial unless they have like a designated space. Uh, mm. You won't have a lot of time to set up necessarily a big lighting setup. So working off the TV commercial um, lighting setup does help a lot, and that comes with having a good relationship with the with the assistant director the director and the, everyone involved on that side. Okay. So if you could shoot anything that, and you didn't have to worry about being paid for it, what would you go and do and shoot? How do you mean commercially or personally? No, if, if money wasn't an object, if you didn't need to be paid for your photography to make a living, what would you photograph? I'd, I'd probably focus on human stories and surfing it would be it would be divided you know it takes a lot from a person to do a human story i think you invest a lot of yourself into the process um you know there are a lot of times when i did the the boxing series you know you spend a lot of time on the sidelines not making pictures driving out there sometimes you get turned away because communication didn't happen or something happened in the prison that night before and the whole thing's on lockdown. Like it takes a lot of, of an individual to create a body of work like that. So I, I would mix it up between, between human stories and, and surf photography. I'd like, I'd, I really want to explore more underwater photography, photograph good reefs from uh, like good waves from under the water, okay. collaborate with surfers, those sort of things. And, and, any advice that you've got for people that wants to shoot those kind of people? Just reach out to them and see who's keen to photograph and, and set up a date and go, and go and shoot it. A lot of cold calling as well, I would presume. Uh, who's this for? For surfers and, and sports people and all these kind of things. Yeah, it, it helps looking in starting out i guess looking at the people around you the people that you know you know if you're invest if you are a, a surfer or a skater or a mountain climber or a um you know someone who rides mountain bikes <clears throat> you know it's good to start with something that you know a sport that you know um and understand because that helps making contacts with people it helps understanding what you know what moves in in a particular sport and look good and how to compose those shots yeah. and just start shooting, just shoot a lot, understand what works, look for inspiration, look at what's been done already by, by photographers out there. Um, research is a big part of photography. I think understanding yeah. what's been done, what hasn't been done, what potentials there are, um, what angle you could approach your, your series of pictures from all of that goes into, 
making pictures. You know, what, what lights do you want to work with and, you know, what light is best for that particular location, you know. And then once, you, once you're shooting, yeah, just I'd say reach out. Once you feel confident enough that you mm. have the ability, I think reaching out is a great way. And um, I, I see you've got quite a, quite a cool number of shots on skateboarding and stuff as well. So I presume you're quite into the boarding type sports. I, I like the, the, I don't know if it's fringe culture, but I like that sort of mobile culture. I like the life, you know, the sort of, the life of skaters and surfers. It's always been this, this. It's almost like idyllic you know, life. Yeah, you know, surfing has always got that picture perfect, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful beaches and suntans and all that and warm water. But there's also the other side of it, which is really interesting. The guys that are going out to the colder places, Scotland, Iceland, all of that, which also makes for very dramatic landscapes um, where the surfers are incidental, not necessarily the central focus. And then skating, I've always just loved the culture of skating. You know, I think they were very anti-establishment. Um, it was about, it was never about the money. It was about doing something you love. So those sort of, those sports are really, really resonate with me. I was in Morocco at the beginning of the year and I ended up photographing more skateboarding than I did surfing because, you know, the ocean went flat and I couldn't, couldn't make pictures of a flat ocean. So I started, you know, I went up to the skate park and I met, I met a British guy from, uh, well, a guy from the UK who was there and I'd go up with him and hang out and then I'd meet some of the local skaters and, um, they ended up, having a sort of weekend contest and I went there and photographed and gave some of the images to the local skate club. It's uh yeah, it's just a cool community. You know, their location, their, their skate park was right on top of the hill overlooking the stretch of coastline. It was just a beautiful place to even just hang out. Yeah, no, that's uh, and also, but, but you took the effort and time to go and look for those places and, and start talking to someone. It's, you, you can't just rock up there with a camera and then, expect they, them to give you access to right in there. You need to you need to be a nice guy as well to to get the access. The same with your prison story. Yeah. You, you obviously didn't yeah. go to the, to the prison board and say, listen, uh, my name is Warren. I can take a good photo. This is what I'm going to do. You obviously mm. had, to, had to buy a lot of people to get the right connections. And you need to understand that, you know, the project isn't about you. Yes. As an individual, it's not, oh, I'm going in to make these photographs. It's like there's a story here that needs to be told. And I would like to be the one who facilitates, you know, the making of the pictures and, and telling the story. So you have to, yeah, it's just about people skills and, and being able to communicate clearly. Running in somewhere and just making pictures can, can make the the environment really sort of tense. So it does take time. You've got to go up and even if you're just hanging around with your camera on your arm, it's not about making pictures. It's about saying hello, introducing yourself, Yes. you know, people becoming comfortable with you. And then you find it's like, Oh, that was a cool trick. Can you do that again? Or, you know, surfing's kind of cool in that you could float out in the water with a water housing and, you know, you almost instantly make friends because everyone wants their photograph taken yes. because there aren't necessarily too many people make pictures from the water. But, you know, skaters don't necessarily want their – not all surfers want their picture taken. Um, it's about 
communicating clearly what you want to do. And, you know, if you can share the images with the people, that also goes a long way. Realize that, uh, you know, some places you might go, they don't have access to good photographers all the time. And um, what, what housing are you using for your camera? I bought a brother's housing. It's a local South African-made water housing. Yeah, very cool. simple, very primitive in its, its usability, but that's, that's all that you need. You know, I shoot shutter speed priority, or app, app, sorry, aperture priority, set my ISO, and usually go a stop or a stop and a half under and autofocus, and that's me. And your, and your autofocus is on servo, obviously, for the guys coming closer and everything. Yeah, yeah. I'd like, I'd like to at some point invest in a more complex setup, something that I do, you know, can control my shutter speed and my lighting or my settings because then you get the option to play with motion blur and, and uh, different elements. You know, you can, you can go from freezing an image to experimenting with motion blur in the process. If you want to do that with a, with the housing I've got, you got to go out unscrew everything, reset yes. everything, put it back in and then like run back into the water. So that at some point I'll get to that. But and, and, for and now I'm, I'm happy with what I've got. And video, are you playing around with video as well? So that, that's been something I've been working with. That was the reason I invested in uh, the 5D4, part of the reason I invested in the Vore, and, um, and a gimbal. It's to start telling stories through motion picture. Yeah, I think so that's been a lot of, lot of what I've been doing um, during this lockdown is focusing on understanding the different elements of you know, frame rates, understanding editing processes, uh, sound mixing, color grading, and story t- visual storytelling, how you tell a compelling visual story. That's the, that's the whole thing with video that, that I have found is, it is if, you, if, you can, if you can take a good photo, you can shoot good video because the elements are exactly the same. It's a little bit of here and there technicality that's different, but you can, make, you can create a good picture. The, the, the difficult part comes in in putting the pictures together. It's with with a still image, it's easy. You can show the picture and it either connects with someone or it doesn't. But with video, you need to build that story, and that's the difficult part. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's one of the frustrating things at the moment is, you know, I film stuff around the house, um, shot some time lapses, but there's only so much you can really do in the location that you're in, you know. So because I like working with people and I've got ideas and people lined up that I want to work with, you know, I want this, this thing to end now so that I can start actually shooting with, with, uh, with people. Yeah. Well, I, I do a lot of, you know, you know, Dan and myself, we do a lot of stock photos and stock videos and stuff. So that's what I did yesterday. I, I went to one of the, one of the places I bought one of those, those, um, coverall suits, those waterproof suits that the, the, the doctors are wearing. And I just went into the studio and just started farting around with sure with stills and one or two little video clips and so I think now if this this lockdown period if anyone's wanted to learn a new skill now has been the time to do it yeah and and also with you know with, to with, experiment with, with with this is the lighting is very is very easy it's off. Um, I borrowed a friend of mine. She's a makeup artist. She's got one of these. Um, have you seen it? 
Is it the wrong flash? Yeah, she's got a ring light flash. Like a ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not a flash. It's just a light. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a constant light. Yeah, it's the circular mirror lights that they use for the hair and makeup. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I borrowed that thing from her because it gives a nice light, and just play. My, my studio walls are black, so I can. I've got a, I've got a white backdrop on one side, and the walls are black, so I can have either or. And with this light being that you need to be so close, everything behind it goes dark in anyway. Mm. So that's what I've been playing around with. So I want to do a couple of more. I've, I saw a really cool video on YouTube this morning um, with a guy shooting really interesting stuff just in his house with with a wide-angle lens. Um, I actually saw some of the stuff on Instagram after I watched the video on YouTube. Um, and it's cool stuff like an iron so you've got the close-up of the iron with the steam coming up with the with the gene there's other ones where he, he, he took the camera lens and, and a, a hairband and he took flowers and he just stuck it in there and then he let his girlfriend stand on a chair and makes like as if she's picking her flowers you've got these flowers like that and you see her hand close-up so those kind of things are all Images that will sell well as stock images again, and it will—it doesn't cost you a single cent to create, and it looks cool. Yeah. I think what you did with that pharmaceutical stuff is genius. I mean, now more than ever. Yeah, well, it's—I uh, mean, there's got to be a market for that for sure. Well, that's the mask I wear when I go to the shop. So I've, I, I bought the mask before everything went, went in lockdown, so I had it. The suit cost 220 bucks at, at one of the places, and a pair of safety goggles cost 18 rand at the AgriMark. So I'm pretty sure I can. Total cost of that and the gloves, all at 500 bucks, and I'm pretty sure I can make that up in, in a couple of sales that I do. It's this, I mean, as frustrating as this lockdown has been, it's definitely opened up some. In, some new areas of creativity, you know, whether it's, you know, you, you get creative around the house, you find elements that create dynamic imagery that, you know, cost next to nothing. And then I've seen photographers who have done um, photo shoots via computer screens. Yeah, so they collaborate with a model and they set, the model sets the camera up and they work towards their phone camera or their computer screen. And there's been some really interesting um, results. Yeah, there's a there's a, a girl I follow on Instagram. She's a ballerina. She does a lot of fine. She's a she's a, a ballet model. So she travels the whole world full and does all these ballet shoots in interesting locations and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, she's got a one DX Mark II. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She, she, some somebody gave it to her. She bought it or she made enough money or whatever. And she connects that to a laptop, so it's tethered. So she's got a 1DX Mark II with a 24-105 lens on there. And then yeah. she, she zooms or skypes with the photographer, and he says, okay, right, that's the settings I want you to dial in. Um, and then she does a pose, and they, he triggers it from his side with, I don't know what. Jeez. <laughs> this is, that's, that's been really cool to see, this sort of level of creativity. And coming back to... You know, if we can shine some hope on the local market, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for photographers going into next season. Um, you know, if we can bridge the gap between 
overseas art directors and clients and and here using technology you know at the moment all these people come to you know we have all these european brands coming over to to south africa to and some a lot of them bring multiple people from the agency and art directors and photographers and and all these people and we've got highly skilled everything here yeah uh, i think with the budgets being super tight after all of this lifts i think it's going to be a great opportunity for for local photographers to to start doing bigger pieces of work and if, and by using technology through you know different calling systems or what have you you know i think there's there's a great opportunity to be able to live work and that's something that i've been trying to work on now yeah is um with this with this art director in the uk is trying to 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 deliver an entire campaign using things like zoom and, and different call platforms yeah well that's exactly why i started this whole chat thing is and and if you speak to dan again he'll probably say to you i've been hunting him for the last five years probably saying that i want to start a podcast and well here we are I've, it was just i literally made one or two calls like the two or three days before this thing went we got locked down and here i am i've done yesterday was the only day that i didn't speak to someone so, yeah that's amazing you find that you're just connecting with so many more people and I've got some I've got some really cool people coming up I'm, I'm chatting to a guy tomorrow who you might also find interesting um, it's a guy from Germany we knew each other through the through the fly fishing stuff from way back when but he's a fantastic photographer and an underwater photographer as well um, all right yes these guys do amazing stuff and they go to amazing places so I think that's going to be another interesting one as well. Nice. Well, it's a great platform that you create. I think it's a it's a great opportunity as well now for people to connect to local, you know, local and international photographers. Yeah. Well, that's my whole thing. I wanted to connect people. It's uh, uh, and I see it so many times during this time now. And I'm sure you've seen it. As you've got all these photographers out there, they they're selling workshops, they're selling presets, they're selling Photoshop actions, and nobody's got money to buy it. And it's all, it's all about me, 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 and not about connecting or just working with other people and hearing their stories. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I think, um, is there anything else you want to chat about or want to, want to share that we might know we need to find a look or look at or whatever? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think that covered, you know, any, anything that I could, any sort of value that I could add. Oh, to no. uh, to a show, and it was cool. It was it was it was interesting. It's a lot of a lot of interesting things in there. And I've well, probably if all this ends, I'll come and join you and Dan for a beer one afternoon somewhere. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> you let us know when you're coming through. I think um, last thing I'd like to add. I don't know if many photographers think about this in the early days. Is that one needs to approach it as any sort of career move as a, as a business, you know, you, yes. you do as a photographer, your brand becomes a business. So along with photography books, you know, you need to be reading marketing books and branding books and selling books and, and those things that we hate doing the most. If we can't, if, if you can't outsource it, which for me is slips and Excel sheets, like that's just not my thing, you know, get someone else to pay someone else to do the things you really don't enjoy and focus on the stuff that you know getting your brand out there which includes 
cold calling and sales. But I've I've said so many times to to because I work with some of the local schools here, and there's a there's always a ton of them wanting to be a photographer after school, and then they ask me should they go study it. I said. Don't waste your parents' money. You can learn photography yourself and via the internet and everything. Go do a business management course. Go learn and teach yourself how a business works. Um, because then you can do anything. You can be the very best surgeon in the world, but if you don't know how to work with money or run your business, then it doesn't matter. You've got the no, Absolutely. Understanding how to balance sheets and know when to spend money and when not to spend money and what to spend it on is important. Yeah, look, um, it's, it's, in, it's in buying gear. There's so much gear that I still want, but is it going to make money back for me? I doubt it. So you need to you need buy stuff that you know is going to make money back for you. That's always the big decision that I kind of have to sit with for a while whenever I get a sort of spending I'm like, okay, is it absolutely necessary to either the development of my skill or is it going to make me money back? You know, am I going to be able to rent out this, this camera or this gear to myself um, for shoots coming up? Am I going to be able to, you know, am I buying this gimbal because I, I'm going to use it or am I just buying it because I have a spend, an urge to spend and I think that that's what all the cool kids use? Yeah, and, and also, uh, and, and also, I think what, what a lot of people underestimate, and I think it's going to happen a lot now when this lockdown is over, is to do trade uh, trade agreements with clients. I've 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 done work for clients um, internationally, and then when it comes to payment time, I said, listen, this is what the value of the invoice is, but this is actually what I need, and that's how I, that, that's how I got my drone. I I did work for a guy in the states, and I said to him, I want this drone. Or this kind of package, whatever you find the cheapest on that side, you score on it. But then you, he bought it for me there, and he could it this way, and I was happy. So I didn't lose any money, and he got he got what he needed. That's smart. And it was, yeah, and it was a lot. I mean, it's a lot isn't cheaper. Trade exchange the same as money exchange. Just you're finding a way to get get a quality equipment. Yeah. On a on a mutually beneficial sort of result. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I would add to that. Never give away your skills, though. A person's skill has value. Don't give away your skills as a photographer for free. It's okay if you like start with friends, companies, and that. So say you want to make pictures, you go, hey, look, I'll you know do pictures for you for free. That's cool. But you get to a certain point where. Um, you know, perhaps a bigger company approaches you and says, oh, this will be good for your book. And, uh, you know, those companies are just out there to try and get, get stuff for free. And an interesting thing I heard the other day is no one values anything they get for free. As soon as they have to pay for it, there's more value to it. They appreciate it more. Yeah. And, and, and also on discounts, I've had people where I've given discounts to, and not because I wanted to get the work that they wanted me to do. It's because... They really asked me nicely, and then I always had a lot of shit with them afterwards. There was always an an issue that on the day of the shoot. There was there was there was issues, and then afterwards, and it's every that it has happened almost every single time that we have given discount to people. Um, there was some sort of hiccup afterwards. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think as a career, you know, there's there's value to a photographer's ability. You know, one has invested in a, a lot of money into their gear and their time, and there's a value to that, and it shouldn't be given away or or discounted. Mm. You know, there might be certain circumstances where you can say, okay, cool, but, you know, don't just give it up because someone says, oh, pretty please. Yeah. I've, I've also, what I've also seen is that, Again, like you say, that if, if a brand comes to you or somebody, and it's somebody that you would really want to work with, they've got the right connections, or that these images can go to the right kind of people that you want to see. Yes, then it's a different story if you do work for them. But then it it must not be that you must say to them, right, this is I'm doing this section for free, for instance, or shoot number two. If you know, like there's there's going to be multiple shoots, so you're right, the first shoot. I'll do it for free to get to get the images for my portfolio, what I need, or whatever the story is. But for the next ones, there's going to be a payment. Um, and also, it's choose where you're going to work for free um, before just saying there is still there is still market in in working for free for the right people. Oh, that's what I've I've seen and found in what I've done. Mm. But you must be careful. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, you know, just uh, just be wary of who you give your skills away to for free. You know, we, this art director, myself, we mutually agreed that, you know, we'd be happy to deliver on this campaign for free because it's something a that we believe in, and I kind of have a philosophy where I want to develop a, a lifestyle where I do X amount of jobs for for money, and then I do a job for free. But the job for free has to be something that's environmentally or socially beneficial. You know, it either benefits an NGO or someone who really needs it. Yes, yes, and 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 also in 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 that in that process, you get really good images for yourself. You build a relationship with an art director, with those clients, and and another thing that I firmly believe in is you never know who you're going to meet. You might get on set there and do the shoot. And the guy that runs the NGO might be the, his wife might be the, whoever from whatever company that might be paying you a shitload of money in a couple of months' time to do a concept for them. So. Absolutely. Because it is, this industry is about who you know, who you can meet and who you can rub shoulders with. So, yeah, it's, be wise in who you give services away for free, but, you know, at least do your research and find out who's worth investing time into. Yeah. Awesome. Right. So Warren, I think uh, we've gone on for about an hour and a half, which, uh, hour and 20 minutes, which has been really, really cool. Um, yeah. And uh, if there's anything else you want to add, you must wait. Otherwise, we say goodbye till we see them. No, I appreciate the time. I think uh, that is all the knowledge that I have to bestow. <laughs> In such a short time. In such a short time. Oh, yeah, that's me. I'm done. <laughs> I appreciate your time. I really do. Thank you no, very it's been, much. It's been awesome. And, uh, and I look forward to that video when this is all done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all your social links in in the description. So if people want to get hold of you, they, they can do that. Cool. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cool. Warren, thank you so much again. And uh, have an awesome rest of the lockdown. I will do. Hopefully, hopefully we're into the last week. Eh? Let's... Well, Let's see what Uncle Cyril has to say tonight. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> well, a lot of people are saying they can keep us in lockdown as long as they open the bottle stores. They're fine. <laughs>
My, my thinking is as long as they open the beach. <laughs> well, that's also they can good. do the bottle stores and the beach. Yeah, and, then I'll be, imagine, and then I'll be good. Imagine living in Camps Bay and there's the beach right there and you can't go to the beach. So I hate to do this to you because I know you live in Worcester, but <laughs> the beach is across the road from me. Where, where do you um, stay now? So I live in Bloberg. Oh, yeah. So okay. I'm, I'm one road back from the beach and there's a, there's a block in front of us, but you can see the ocean through the block. And uh, as a surfer... <laughs> I've been watching my autumn swell come and go since the 7th of April. Oh, man. And it's shocking that I know when it all started. <laughs> oh, my word. Right. All the so, best. Yeah, I hope it lets us out. Cool. See you soon. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Okay. Have a good one. Keep safe. Bye Cheers. Bye. Bye.